today. We're going to read in just a few minutes. We've been doing a two-week series here on the church through God's eyes. But before I get into the text, I want to get into a personal confession. I have issues. Anyone who knows me knows that I just said something very true. And one of the things that God is needs, I need to grow in, I need to get better at, is that I miss a lot of details. I can, I can plan and, and have a vision and get the big picture, but often when it comes down to it, I miss some crucial details. Is there anyone else like that around here? Amen. And are, then, then there's some detail people as well, right? Thank God for the detail people. Well, let, let, me, let me put some feet on this and, and just give you an example of what that might have looked like in my life. So let me start like this. What had happened was I was planning a mission trip to Malawi, Africa, and it was a small trip, just four people, myself, my wife, Pastor Recab, that some of, of you have met, and his wife, Brittany. We were planning to go on this mission trip to Africa. Uh, but there were a lot of issues for Brittany with her passport and with her job, and it looked like she's not going to be able to make it. And so I just booked the tickets for myself and for Pastor Recab, and we were set. We're good. We're going. Uh, a few days, just a few days before we're supposed to go to Africa for two weeks, everything comes through for Brittany, and now she can go. And we're saying hallelujah, praise the Lord. And so I'll take care of all the arrangements, Mr. Detail Guy. So I did that. I, I booked the tickets for my wife and for Brittany, and uh, we went to Africa. We had one of the most amazing mission trips that we've ever had. The Lord moved in astounding and amazing ways. Two weeks later, it's time to come home. We go to the airport. Our hearts kind of want to stay, but we want to go home and see our kids and, and do different things. But we get to the airport and all of a sudden there's a problem. There are tickets for myself and recab, but they can't find my wife and they can't find Brittany in the system anywhere. So this is not a good thing, as you might be able to recognize. And so after sweating profusely for two hours trying to figure out what happened, what had happened was I set the tickets for my wife and for Brittany for two days later. Let me just report to you now that by the grace of Almighty God, I am still married today. <laughs> and God gave my wife special grace that day. So I get back to America and I have everything I'm supposed to bring back. All of my clothes, all of my books, everything I'm supposed to bring back except for one thing, I left my wife in Africa. Not the best move ever, y'all. I tend to forget things. But praise be to God, he doesn't forget anything. Amen. Our God is meticulous about his work. Our God is perfect in every way. Our God does not miss a thing. He's sovereign. He's good. He's almighty. And he's got it all together. Amen. So we began last week to look at uh, what the church is, four different uh, ways that God sees his church. We looked last week at the fact 
that the church is God's visible presence on earth. In other words, it is through the people of God that he is seen in this world in mighty ways. And we looked at the fact that the church is God's special possession. The church are the ones that are near and dear to his heart. Even when you would look at a church or you would look at an individual believer and say, they're not worth much. God says, no, 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 no. That is mine. She is mine. He is mine. They are my special possession. We looked at those things last week. And today we're going to look at the last two. The church is, first of all, the bride of Christ. We'll look at that in a moment. But let's stand as we read God's word together, we want to read from Revelation chapter 19. Revelation 19, beginning at verse 6, we'll read verses 6 through 9. Amen. Let's, let's read the word of God. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like pound peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. Let me pray. Father God, we pray right now that you will use this time for your glory to meet us, Lord God, and to show us more how you see your bride, how you see your people, Lord God. Lord, move by your Holy Spirit in this time, we pray in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen, amen. You may be seated. I love this picture that we get in the 19th chapter of this great book of Revelation. We get a picture of the church as the bride of Christ. And there are three different aspects that I see uh, that we can easily see about the bride of Christ in these verses. The first one is this, that the bride is a rejoicing bride. Amen? The bride is a rejoicing bride. We see in verse 6, it says, I heard what sounded like a great multitude. Now, we had seen this multitude before in the book of Revelation in chapter 7 and verse 9, where it talks about a multitude of people that no man can number, no one can number from every tribe, from every tongue, from every nation. They're gathered around the throne, and we see this group here once again, but now we see them pictured as this beautiful bride ready for the king. And we see that there are several reasons for the rejoicing of this bride. The first is at the end of verse 6. It says they, they're shouting hallelujah. And it tells us why. For the Lord God Almighty reigns. The hallelujah, the great hallelujah, the final hallelujah is because the Lord God Almighty reigns. 
And, and, and the sense of the verb that's given there is actually the sense that he has begun to reign. He has begun to reign. In other words, we've been waiting for this for a long time. Now we know that there's a sense in which Christ always reigns. Christ is reigning right now. Amen? Amen. But we also know that although we live in the already that Christ is reigning now, there's also a big fat not yet that we live with as well. Because although he reigns, the fullness of his glory is not manifested. Although he reigns even now, the reality is we suffer in these times. We, str we struggle in these times. We're waiting on a manifestation of the glory of God that we have not seen yet. And what's happening here in Revelation 19, although they've waited centuries and centuries and they're anticipating, now he comes and it's marriage time, marriage of the bride and the bridegroom. And now he has begun to reign. I remember myself getting ready to be married. I got engaged to my wife. It was October, end of September, beginning of October. I want to make sure I get that right so I'll cover two months. Um, but we got engaged and we had planned our wedding initially for uh, August of the next year. To me, that seemed like a long time, y'all. I just wanted to get married. Didn't want to get engaged. I wanted to get married. So in the course of time, we actually changed our plan and said, instead of waiting till August, we're going to get married in March. That was my first hallelujah. <laughs> we put money down on a place for our reception. A few weeks later, we saw on the news that the guy who took our money skipped town and a lot of other people's town with their money for their reception. But you know what? I didn't care about that money. I'm getting married in March. And we'll figure out a reception. And we did. God provided. Listen, I, I was excited about being engaged, but I really wanted to be married, not just engaged. And so, although it was only about a five or six month wait, I waited. That seemed like forever for this young boy, right? But imagine what's going on in this chapter. They've been waiting and waiting. Now, we don't know how long. Right now, it has been 2,000 years since Christ came. He may come back today. He may come back tomorrow. It may be another 1,000 years. I don't know. If anyone does know the day or the hour, please talk to me after service. Because you're wrong. Amen? Because you're wrong. No one knows the day or the hour. But we know this. He's coming back. And what's happening here? is he has come back, and now the Lord God Almighty reigns. They're excited about it, and there is this wedding celebration. He says in verse 7, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come. They rejoice at the wedding of the Lamb. Now, not only are they excited, uh, is the bride a rejoicing bride, but the bride is also a prepared bride. Say that with me. A prepared bride. A prepared bride. It is a prepared bride. So the scripture says, for the wedding of the lamb has come. This is the middle of verse 7. 
and the bride has made herself ready. Verse 8, fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen, the Bible says, stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. God is coming. Christ is coming back for a prepared bride. Not someone who just threw on something, but a prepared people, a prepared bride. Now, as a pastor, I've been involved in scores and scores of weddings. I love doing weddings just about more than anything else, any other privilege I get to do as a pastor. I just love it. And I've been to all kind of weddings, just extravagant weddings, amazing weddings, and then smallest scale you can imagine weddings. But there's one thing that's always anticipated more than anything else at a wedding. No matter how extravagant it is, no matter how amazing it is, no matter what's going on with it, there's one thing that people are waiting for at a wedding more than anything else. And that is the appearance of the bride. When, when you have that moment, and if I'm standing up front with the groom right here and in the back of the church, when that bride appears, the groom just sometimes loses it. I love it when they lose it. I tell them, you're going to probably lose it, and that's okay. Because they're seeing their bride. Now, and, and everyone in, in the church or in the gathering is the same way. We're blown away when we see the bride. Why? You've seen her a thousand times before. But you've never, ever, ever seen her like this. Right? There's a dress like no dress she ever wore. The hair is done. The makeup is put on. All the stuff is put together in a way that is for one day, for one purpose, for one thing, and that is for the wedding day. It's a prepared bride. And that's the beautiful moment that we see. The bride is prepared. And the scripture says that at the marriage supper of the Lamb, he is coming for a prepared bride. It says, in fine linen, bright and clear, which is given her to wear. Now, we all know the book of Revelation for a lot of folks is the, one of the hardest books, maybe the hardest book in the Bible because there's all these symbols, all these, the, the, the beast and the false prophet and the great dragon and the seven bowls and the seven this and the 144,000. And people are always trying to figure out what does this symbol mean? What does that symbol mean? And there's so many different interpretations of the book of Revelation based on all these symbols. But once in a while, God just makes it simple for us. He says she was given fine linen bright and clean to wear and then in parentheses fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people listen the fine linen of the church at the wedding of the bride and the bridegroom you cannot buy that at some upscale bridal boutique you can't buy it anywhere no matter how much money you have you can't buy this decked out bridal dress the Bible says it stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. What is that? The fine linen is holiness. The fine linen is a life of repentance. The fine linen is a contrite and broken spirit that acknowledges God and sets its mind to resist sin and to honor God. The bride of Christ is 
a prepared bride. The question that we need to ask ourselves is right here. Is your life marked by particular and persistent preparation for God's presence? See, the bride takes time to get everything ready from the bottom of her feet to the top of her head and everything that is on her body, in her body, and otherwise she is making sure she's ready for that day. And the scripture says that he's coming back for a prepared people. Is your life marked by that kind of preparation for the presence of God? This is the reality of that presence of God. If you look earlier in the verse or in the chapter, uh, the first hallelujah that's given in this chapter, in verse 1, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. But in verse 3 it says, and they shouted hallelujah, the smoke goes up forever and ever. This is talking about the condemnation of Babylon. And in the book of Revelation, now I'll tell you a little something about uh, what Babylon represents. Babylon represents everyone outside of the kingdom. Amen. Those who are excluded from the kingdom of God. And the scripture says that they are not going to know Christ as a bridegroom, but they're going to know Christ as a mighty warrior. So here's the reality for everyone in this room. You're in church. Praise God. It's Sunday morning. You're at New Life. But for every person, just being in the building doesn't mean that you're in Christ. Amen? Any more than being at McDonald's means that you're a hamburger. Amen? So being in the building is great. Being in the presence of God is great. Being together here is great. But we need to make a commitment as the bride of Christ to prepare ourselves for him. Here's the reality. You are either the bride or you're Babylon. You're either rejoicing at his coming or you're rejected at his coming. You're either delivered finally and fully and completely delivered in the presence of the coming Christ or you're destroyed. There isn't a middle ground when God comes back, when Christ comes back. There's not a, a, a middle way, a one foot in and a one foot out place. There's not a nebulous kind of I'm halfway saved, halfway unsaved place. The Bible is calling us to make a decision for Jesus Christ. A real decision, a final decision, a full decision that says my life belongs to you and to you alone, Lord. So at the end of the service today, if anyone, if you're not sure where you're at with Christ, I encourage you to come up for prayer at the end of service today. This preparation of the bride is critical. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus tells a parable of a wedding feast. And there's one who comes to the feast, but they're not dressed properly. The scripture says in Matthew 22, of that person, they came to the feast, y'all. They're ready or they think they're ready, but they're not prepared. They don't have the right garments on. The Bible says, tie him hand and foot. Throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Brothers and sisters, we don't talk a lot about hell, but hell's a real place. 
we had some hot days this summer. And we had some days where there was no AC in the sanctuary on a Sunday. But y'all don't know hot. <laughs> and no one wants to know the pain of death and final and full and forever separation from the goodness of the God who loves you and comes for you to save. But that is a reality that the scripture tells us we've got to deal with. He comes for a rejoicing bride. He comes for a prepared bride. And lastly, he comes for a blessed bride or a blessed bride. Revelation 19, verse 10 puts it this way. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. That saying right there is called a beatitude. We went through the beatitudes in Matthew last year at this time. But a beatitude is simply a statement of God talking about the blessedness of his people. There are seven of those in the book of Revelation. This is the fourth one. And he says, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Get your clothes on right. Get your, get your preparation on right. Get your praise on right. Get ready because he is coming again. And it is the most wonderful, blessed thing that his people will ever know. Blessed, blessed, blessed are those who are there when the Lord comes and rejoice in his presence. Amen. I want to be among those blessed. I want every one of you, I want your families, your friends, your loved ones to be a part of the blessed ones. Again today, do you know for sure? Do you know for sure that you are part of that bride? I want to move on to the last point today. Um, the church is not only the bride of Christ it not only is the is the presence of Christ in the earth but the church is the army of God this is another picture of how God sees his church the church is the army of God you can turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1 I'm going to start reading at verse 12 in just a minute but before I do that let me just talk about this because we just went from being a bride beautiful and prepared for a husband to now talking about being an army, fierce and ready to do battle and ready to go to war. Those images sound so completely and drastically different. But I want you to see in the scripture that though there is difference and there's nuance, there's also so much in common with these two uh, uh, ways of understanding and seeing the church. Paul is writing this letter to Timothy. Uh, to, he has sent Timothy to the church in Ephesus and the church is going through all sorts of struggles. There are false teachers now who have infiltrated the church. They're leading the people astray in many different ways. And Paul is instructing Timothy about how he can handle the situation at Ephesus and how he, he can uh, set him uh, on course to correct what's going on in the church. So I want to read from verse 12. Verses 12 through 14 first here. Verse 12 says. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord. Who has given me strength. That he considered me trustworthy. Appointing me to his service. Verse 13. Even though I was once 
a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. Now look at verse 14. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. Along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. We are, God says of his church, the army of God. And we see here, first of all, the preparation of the soldier. The preparation of the soldier. We are prepared by God. Paul says, listen, I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I was a violent man. If you know Paul's history, you know that he is one who tracked down Christians. He was on his way to put Christians into prison when Jesus appeared to him. He had been the one who was in agreement with the stoning of Stephen, the first martyr that we see in the book of Acts. Paul was a violent Man, a persecutor of the church, and he sees that he was all of those things, and yet what pours out on this page and in these words is the gratefulness of a man who knows what God saved him from. The preparation of God's army, the preparation of every soldier who will fight in this army is first and foremost the knowledge of what God has saved you from. The knowledge of just how great your need is for the living God. The preparation that God makes for you and I as a part of his army is the full acknowledgement of your sin. We, we, we don't downplay it. And the gratefulness to God for the abundance of his saving grace in your life. So the church is the army of God. Preparation of a soldier. But secondly, look at verse 15. We want to look at the motivation of a soldier. Verse 15 says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Listen, the motivation of a soldier starts with understanding what your mission is. You've got to know what the mission is. You can have everything that you need as a soldier. If you don't know what your mission is, there's no way you can accomplish it. But he says in verse 15, here's the mission. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's the mission. That's what God wants to use you for. That's what God wants to use me for. We are salt and light in this world. And God wants to use us as his mighty army that others would come to know the freedom and deliverance and salvation that is in Christ and in Christ alone. This is what God is doing in his church. Now, Paul is a man who's fully aware of his jacked upness. We just talked about that a little bit. He's aware of it. And he says, I'm the worst of sinners. And we know why I said that. I just talked about it. But listen, the, 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 the posture of a believer 
is not, yeah, Paul, you're right, you are the worst of believers. Or when you're talking with a friend and they're sharing their sin and their issues, saying, oh my goodness, yeah, you are really a mess. You are the worst of sinners. The posture of a believer is, I am the worst of sinners. Because I can know something about your sin. What you share with me, maybe I have some insight into it. Maybe I understand it a little bit better. But I'll never know your sin like I know mine. My, your struggle like I know mine. And when I know mine inside out and I own it and I get it, I understand that I am the worst of sinners. That's the posture of a believer. So just having the, the understanding of the mission itself is not enough unless you know what thrusts you into that mission is the realization of how great your need is for Jesus. And the same is true for all of those who are around you. Need Jesus desperately and fully. Let me share with you something my wife said to me this week. Now, she wasn't necessarily talking about me, but maybe she was. She said this, you've got to own your own ugly if you're ever going to experience freedom in God. You've got to own your own ugly. See, sometimes we can get caught up in the ugly of someone else. In their mess. And we look at our ugly and we got all kind of reasons for it. And we downplay it. And my ugly isn't so ugly as some other ugly is really ugly, but my ugly is not quite as ugly as your ugly. But when you own your ugly, when you say, you think that's bad, it's worse. When you figure out that when you think you know the very worst of what you're capable of, you understand that you're capable of much worse than your worst. Apart from the amazing and powerful grace of the living God. See, Jesus is on a mission to save sinners. And when you know that you are one and accept that he came to redeem you, the worst of sinners, then you have the right motivation to be part of God's army. You long to see the salvation of others. If you're in the army of God, you desire with your heart to see people you know and love, your family, your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers, those who are in school with you, you long to see others saved. That is a mark of a Christian. If you just don't care, then you better check your Christian pulse, amen? Christians care deeply. We're part of God's army, and he came to seek and to save the lost, and so he has given us that commission. God sees his church as an army that goes out and spreads his gospel in word and in deed. And let me just say this in this room today. You're never too young to be in the army of God. Amen. Amen. Don't wait if you're a teenager. Don't wait if you're a young person. Don't wait to say, I'm going to do this and this and this. And one day I'll make a decision for Jesus Christ. No, today is the day and now is the hour. If you will accept him, you'll find life in him today. Amen. Today, today you can find life in Jesus Christ. Last piece here. The church is the army of God the preparation of a soldier, the motivation of a soldier, and finally the tactics of a soldier. Just want to read here 
Verse 18 and 19, Timothy, my son, Paul says, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well, holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck regarding the faith. This is real simple, y'all. The tactics of a soldier. Paul instructs Timothy saying this, Hold on to the faith. Know what the faith is. Know that it's Christ and Christ alone. Know that it's by his grace and by his grace alone. Know that God's love for you is eternal. It doesn't end one day. It, it will never end. If you hold on to Christ, know your faith. And then he says, and then holding on to a good conscience. In the work of God's army, these two things are essential. These are the tactics of a soldier. Let me close with this. The effective member in the army of God, number one, is armed to the teeth with the love of God. You think about a soldier who's armed to the teeth. We ought to be those soldiers but we're armed to the teeth with the love of God. When someone wants to hurt you, persecute you, hate you, come against you, you have such a storehouse of God's love inside of you because you understand what he has done for you, even for you. I understand what he's done for me, even for me. And so you've forgiven me so much. You've loved me so much. What comes out of me? is the love of God, armed to the teeth in the love of God, and strapped, think about a soldier, with extra rounds of a pure heart and a good conscience. I'm strapped. I've got more weaponry than you can imagine. The love of God, a pure heart and a good conscience. And then we have our weapon of mass redemption. A weapon of mass redemption, sincere faith. Sincere faith. Paul says in verse 5 of the same chapter of 1 Timothy, the goal of our command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Brothers and sisters, when God looks at his church, he gets happy. When God looks at his church, he sees the hands and feet and mouth of Jesus walking and doing exploits in the world. When God sees his church, he sees a special possession unlike anything else on earth that he's called to himself and says, this belongs to me. When God sees his church, he sees a bride without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, perfect and prepared to be in his presence forever. When God sees his church, he sees a mighty army going out. An army that's going out to love and to care and to save and to change. God sees his army at work. As I close today, we're going to sing in just a second. But my question is this. Do you know that you're in that church?
Are you sure today of your own salvation? I want some people to come up. They're ready to come up today to pray for anyone here who might be struggling with where am I really with the Lord today? If you don't know, I'm going to ask you to just bow your heads. I'm going to pray in just one minute. But I ask you to bow your heads with me right now. If you don't know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior today, can you just raise your hand and say, I need Christ. I don't know him. I need him. I need him in my life. Preacher, help me. Help me. Help me. Praise the Lord. Let me pray. And after I pray, if you need to come up for anything, for prayer, come on up and receive prayer before we close our service. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord God, that you are at work in your people. You are making us that perfect, prepared bride ready to glory in your presence for all eternity. You are making us that powerful and mighty army that goes out to do your work and to see many come to faith and trust in you. Lord, touch every heart here today and bring this message home to every place where it needs to go in every heart. Glorify your name in all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.